this December 7th through 9th. Check out the EdUp Experience podcast live and in person in Doha, Qatar for the World Innovation Summit on Education. We will be documenting the ideas and innovations from today's most influential global education leaders. Check them out at wise-qatar.org and follow the EdUp Experience podcast for more information. Yay! Unmuddle. Have you heard of them yet? If you haven't, you've got to check them out at unmuddle.com slash colleges. They are disrupting the community college scene. Their course to jobs marketplace is a modern way for community colleges to compete with the big players. Check them out again at unmuddle.com slash colleges. That's U-N-M-U-D-L dot com slash colleges. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio, back with you again. Another amazing episode. And in this particular episode, I believe like we have an amazing triangle of folks. I've got an amazing co-host, amazing guest. Um, this is a co-host that by the time this episode airs, you have heard several times um, by now. And you may begin to recognize her entrance music. I'm going to play it for you now. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Michelle Cantu-Wilson. It's more of an entrance sound than music. It is. Hi, Joe. Hi, everybody. Glad to be back. Of course, you are the Director of Teaching and Learning Initiatives and Special Projects at San Jacinto College. Michelle, thank you for coming back yet again on the Edit Experience Podcast. I am honored to be invited. You know how crazy I am about this show. I listen to it every day. I'm determined to listen to all, what are you, 360 episodes now? Oh, not that many. 316, 320, somewhere around there. Okay. I'm going to listen to every single one. That's my goal. If you do that, we will, we were going to do, we're going to have to do something special for you. Um, I may even decide to change your uh, entrance sound from an air horn. That would be your reward because be it's so good. I feel like every time you're going to get ready to talk, I just, Michelle, see, uh, it's just, it's too good. Our guest is going to find you so charming. I can't wait. Oh my gosh. She's rolling her eyes literally as we speak. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Naya Blair Hackworth, and she's director of inclusion at the NCAA. Naya, how are you? I'm great. I'm just wondering what my sound is going to be. So uh, I'm excited to to be here. I'm doing well. I will say that I am not Dr. Naya Blair Hackworth yet. I am still completing my, um, I'm actually in the midst of writing my dissertation. So yeah, well, I don't, I don't care what anybody else says. You're Dr. (laughs) Naya Hackworth today on this, this episode, it feels good when you get it. I promise. Um, I, I will, I want to be honest with you, Naya. I, I, I spent a lot of time before this episode trying to decide what your entrance sound was going to be. I, I chose this because I felt like the crowd needed to stand up for you and recognize your great work. Michelle chose this. I felt like it was a little underwhelming. He's you know? a wonderful person, but he's a perpetual liar. <laughs> he's good at what he does, so we forgive him. Uh, I was like, come on, Michelle. Is little, something a little stronger than that for Naya? Okay. Uh, Naya, tell us a little bit about you. You've got a great background. Give us the, the quick journey to the NCAA's Director of Inclusion. Thanks. Um, My quick journey is that I spent 12 years working at higher education institutions in various areas of diversity, inclusion, supporting non-traditional students, 
also leadership programs and minority male programs. Always had a passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion work since actually my undergrad and graduate school. I also, um, so that was, was what led me to the NCAA. Still wanted to be able to do meaningful work in the EDNI space, but wanted to explore what other opportunities that I could do this work, still be connected to higher education. And when the opportunity came, the national office came at the national office it's like wow this is great being able to support student athletes and i work with student athletes at various uh various institutions that i work with that i work at and also being able to still do diversity equity inclusion work on a larger platform being able to touch over 500,000 student athletes that we have at the NCAA. I thought it was a great opportunity um, and I'm very glad to be here. So that's the, that's the real quick version of it all. I love it. So th- what does this look like for you? Director of Inclusion at the NCAA, you know, some would think, oh, it's the NCAA. You must have amazing diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. Who needs to put more of an investment at the NCAA? I mean, you got so many resources there, but it's not the case, right? It's something that has to be continually discussed and trained and, uh, and students need to be mentored and included. What's work look like for you as the director of inclusion? What does that entail? And tell me, I mean, don't give me the day in the life of Naya, but talk about maybe some projects or initiatives that you've been a part of, spearheaded, brought to the table at the NCAA. Yes, so I'm a part of the Office of Inclusion team, and so we say we're a small but mighty team, and so my focus areas within the national office are race, ethnicity, and disability, and we have uh, three other core areas, which are gender, LGBTQ, um, and international, and so some of the major projects that I've helped um, work and lead on, one, we all know last year in terms of the tragic murder of George Floyd and as though as a world, as a society, really put a lot more emphasis on race and ethnicity. And so I have provided numerous of more than I can account workshops and educational experiences to what we call our membership, the NCA membership. So to student athletes, coaches and administrators on what does it mean to foster an anti-racism athletic community? What does it mean to foster or create cultures of belonging? Also created resources that tie into different types of presentations on conversations of race and strategies to um, advance uh, racial justice. Um, Also, we have some efforts internally at the national office as well as externally as a part of our eight point plan to advance racial equity. And so I have been, Uh, helping lead in some of those areas, be it from programs offered to uh, we have an unconscious bias training that's going to take place soon for our national office staff. So helping with that to um, helping with our inclusive language document, working with colleagues who are are looking at that. So being a part of the eight point plan, some of the programs and initiatives for race and ethnicity uh, from the disability side, we formed a disability advisory group. And so we have a guide that we hope to um, have out to our membership early 22. And so working with the advisory group and the focus group and different consultants on that, as well as some projects of really talking about how do we help amplify 
student athlete voice and support student athlete voice, so activism. So those are some of the major projects. And another aspect of, of my job that's very continuous is that I am the primary li liaison to one of our committees, our association-wide committees, which is MOIC, the Minority Opportunities and Interest Committee. And so that committee meets a few times a year and really helps move forward um, different things that are important for the membership to help advance opportunities for minorities uh, within the NCAA. So that's that's a few things. That's what I'm going to give you the whole rest of the episode because it feels like that's probably just a small part of what you do. <laughs> and you look beneath any one of those things and there's 40 components to oh, it, yeah. right? <laughs> so one of the things that, and I'm going to pass it to Michelle here in just a second, uh, but I, I want to just focus in the student athlete voice, uh, social justice issue uh, issues becoming more of a central focus i think for for all of us but certainly for student athletes that are coming up since the george floyd murder in particular but what does that look like i mean do students feel like they have a voice in general how do students amplify their voice if they want to get involved and does the ncaa there's a lot of questions in there but does the ncaa foster opportunities from your office to say, hey, look, if you, you want to use this voice, here's how you do it. Let, let us facilitate you using your voice rather than you try to figure it out on your own. So I'm going to try to remember all those questions. It's <laughs> impossible. There's no way to remember all of those. Just take the last one. How, how, do, how do students get involved if they want to amplify their voice? Well, I'll first start as by saying since last summer, we saw student athlete voice really increase with their efforts, not only supporting Black Lives Matter, but also just social justice in general, be it with patches. So our SAC, our Student Athlete Advisory Committee, our national SAC had patches that teams could wear on jerseys. They were more vocal. They participated in higher numbers for our diversity inclusion social media campaign. So, you know, I think if you Google student athlete voice in 2020, you see so many things that have come up in 2021 as well. And at the national office, we, and then as an association in general, are constantly figuring out ways that we can support student athlete voice. And in the Office of Inclusion, we have a student athlete activism webpage that not only helps, one, talks about the history of student uh, student athlete activism throughout the years, but then also talking about things for student athletes to keep in mind as they utilize their voice, not just from a racial justice standpoint, but in other causes that are important and are essential to them. And then we also have a resource to help coaches and administrators to support student athlete voice on their campus as well. So we try to take kind of a 360 approach to that um, and working with our other colleagues within the membership, as well as the national office who our advisors to our SAC leaders. Um, so it's something that we take really seriously because we're here to support student athletes. And that's not just support on the court or the field, that's support holistically, right? And um, different causes that are important to them. We have to make sure that we're fostering uh, not only the resources, but uh, cultures of belonging to help them to be able to, to utilize that platform, their platform. Yeah. I love it. And you're, you're getting a lot of, uh, and Michelle, I'm going to bring you in. You're getting a lot of, you're a sought after speaker here. I look like through your LinkedIn and it's like, I'm oh. speaking here, I'm speaking there, I'm speaking here, I'm speaking there. I oh, I got to find her on LinkedIn. All right, Michelle, <laughs> I'm going to hand it over to you. But first, okay, now go. <laughs> I'm here. Um, so what I was thinking when you were talking about all of the opportunities that you have for students to learn and grow and, and be developed, 
was you have been very intentional in making sure that um, you think very clearly about the student athlete needs. And I have some experience with student athletes that I'll talk about later, but what has been, when it comes to social justice and activism in particular, with the students who are now in our colleges and our universities, what has been the most surprising to you that you've learned in operating this student athlete advisory committee and, and training them to advocate for themselves and advocate for, for others? What, what surprised you the most? That's a great question. And I'm trying to quickly think about what surprised me the I'm most. Gonna, I always tell Michelle she needs to tone it down and not ask questions that are better than mine. We're going to have to re- <laughs> Convene on that, Michelle. <laughs> I'm getting fired. <laughs> I, I think that one of the things that surprised me the most, there are a few things, but one, that there are some student athletes who are unsure of how to utilize their voice, right? And so get helping and giving them that confidence. And we think about student athletes in general, that they're, they're confident, talented individuals, right? And understanding that they have some, you know, some of them, not all of them have some challenges with like, what does it mean to utilize my voice? I want to utilize it in a, in a way that helps causes. And I'm unsure how to do that because they may feel like they don't have enough information or because of their different backgrounds. And so really giving them, helping them with their confidence in that. And then the other piece that's not, you know, surprising, but to see, I think pleasantly surprising is to see how many student athletes who are utilizing their voice and their platform as well. And I think that sometimes we don't always get to see that in different ways. And of course, social media has definitely highlighted that in ways that that, um, probably haven't happened in years before. Within that that SAC, um, do you have um, officers and levels and do they get to have leadership roles within that committee? Yes. Yeah, so I don't oversee our, our national SAC. We have our great colleagues within each division. There's a national SAC and on each college campus, there's a SAC group. And so within SAC, there are different leadership positions and different committees um, for students to be involved. And one thing that uh, happened within past year plus, we've seen more SAC, national SAC have committees related to DEI and goals related to diversity, equity, inclusion, not to say that they didn't exist before, but really, you know, taking it to different levels and being consistent. So as we go into this, you know, new year, um, those are still goals that SAC have related to diversity, equity, inclusion. And so that's really cool and good to see. I think one of the things that we've seen on our college campuses and certainly across the country, like you said, with social media is that our students, you know, Gen Z in particular, they are all about advocating for others. They are all about um, making sure that voices are heard and they want to amplify the voices of all people. Um, You mentioned that one of your areas is uh, student athletes with disabilities. And we know a lot Um, of folks with disabilities have invisible disabilities, Mm -hmm. things that are not seen to others. And the pandemic has been especially hard on people with disabilities because um, the support is not always there. Um, Sometimes uh, things can be misunderstood or misconstrued. And certainly student athletes who are coming in with all these uh, identities, you know, being maybe first gen, Um, or being um, a student with a disability, being a superstar on social media, but maybe not so much in the classroom for various reasons. Um, When it comes to students, student athletes with disabilities, what type of support are we looking at? What does that 
for the coming coming at it from the student experience, what does that look like for them? I think it can look like a variety of things depending on the different um, ability that the, the disability that they have. So when you think from a learning, you know, mm -hmm. um, if there's particular accommodations, do they need? You know, one of the other big things that we've talked about as a, an advisory group and just as a national office with one of our leading consultants in this area is the stigma. Mm -hmm. around and related to, you know, not just student athletes, but individuals who may have a disability. And so how do we um, provide more education and comfort around people talking about it and getting the help that they need? And we spend a lot of time, I think this is another form of di disability from a mental health standpoint of thinking about how can we support student athletes um, and their mental health, particularly as it relates to COVID and racial injustice and being, you know, this pandemic that we're kind of still in, right? Um, so really thinking about understanding their needs, um, providing accommodations, providing resources that God that we're working on will be really helpful, not only for student athletes, but coaches and administrators to provide the supports that student athletes need who um, have a disability. And again, just the education around um, the various disabilities that exist and how we can provide a more inclusive culture from that lens. Because a lot of times when we talk about providing inclusive cultures and, and cultures of belonging, a lot of times we're not including disability in those conversations. Right, right. And I think that the fact that you say that, you know, you work to educate, I think that is the most important thing because there are so many people who want to support, but they don't understand what, you know, what the main issues are related to, you know, student athletes or students with disabilities or students who are experiencing, you know, um, oppression in the classroom or, you know, in society. And, it's just about educating. It's just about opening the door and having conversations. There's a lot of willingness, I think, that I've seen. Um, and I'll turn it back over to Joe because I'll go on and on. Um, and I'm sure he has a question. Yeah, you know, my questions aren't as good, but I'm going to try my best. <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm doing this, Joe, because I have construction happening in my building. So if I do that, that's the reason I'm going to mute for a minute. That's okay. Uh, no worries. So, so Naya, I, I want to ask about how, you know, because mental health is important and diversity, equity, inclusion is obviously a big part and plays a big part in that. You talked about belonging, you used the word belonging a couple of times. And I, I'm always curious because we've had higher ed, uh, we've interviewed like a hundred and something higher ed presidents. And, and many of them, especially those that I think are doing that deep work of DEI, talk about belonging is almost this antecedent to diversity, equity, inclusion work. That it's that you have to feel like you belong, or it's a part of the DEI work, and the belonging is as as much it's as important as the other things. You know, how do you facilitate belonging when you're working inclusion at the NCAA? How what, is it a focus itself? Because it's DEI, and there's no belonging. It's it's almost assumed that belonging is a part of that, right? So how does that play a part in what you do? It plays a huge part. That's a great question, and. And I think that as diversity, equity, inclusion work continues to morph and change, right? And people are using belonging more. I wonder if it's gonna be like a DEIB, you know, added to, to that. And at the national office and in the association in general, we help foster belonging, I think, through in, in, inclusion and, and, and being diverse, right? And so it's not only if 
a person feeling welcome, but do they feel supported? Do they see people who look like them in different roles within the organization or even on a committee, right? Um, and do, if I see someone who looks like me, do I have people who think in the same way, you know, or if they don't think in the same way, is how I think going to be valued in the same way as how other people you know, think who are part of the organization or part of the committee. And so we do have, um, you know, efforts and, and continuously working toward that. There's not an endpoint, right, of saying, hey, we, we've got it. We've got it all figured out, right? We're continuing to grow and learn um, from each other and, and make the necessary adjustments to be um, as successful, um, not to just say that we're successful, but to be successful so that people not only want to work here, but they feel like they're making a difference here and they feel like who they are. Is, is, is accepted and is supported and is understood. And, and those are a lot of different right, layers, right? And right. so, um, but it is very important. We recently, meaning the Office of Inclusion partner with our employee engagement groups, we call them our EEGs, and had some programming regarding perspectives where we had individuals from a variety of backgrounds. We were very intentional of making sure while we couldn't include all backgrounds, but thinking about things from multiple layers, right? And then asking people to share their, their thoughts and, and their experiences. And it was such a well-received program. And it was also an opportunity for us to stop and think about, we have so many talented individuals who come from various backgrounds. And a lot of times, you know, we may not realize that, we may take that for granted. And we have to be mindful of that and we have to support that in various ways. And so again, we're not perfect. I don't think we would ever say that, that we are, but we are moving forward and, and working hard to create that culture of belonging. And, and oh. being able to provide resources to help the membership create those culture of belonging for the individual campuses and conference offices for those who support and work with student athletes and for our student athletes as well. Well, it seems from all of the reports that have come out and the studies that have been done that more and more people are interested in short-term types of education and training, especially now with such huge job demand out there, than say, geez, I got to mostly leave the workforce for two or four years to get a degree. Particularly for our college, we've been very strong in the two-year degree space, but we've not been as strong in the short-term workforce development space for individuals to be able to come and take a short-term few weeks, few months workforce training course and go out and get a job or get a better job. We haven't done a lot of that. And I thought this was an opportunity for us to be able to get into that space very quickly and be able to provide more diversity of offerings using our partners in Unmuddle who can provide some expertise that we don't have at a medium-sized college in the middle of New York. Joe, are you hearing what I hear? Uh, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't hear any construction if that's what you're talking about. <laughs> no, yeah. not the construction in my office. Absolute passion in your voice for this work. I'm just watching you and seeing your face just light up over the types of initiatives that you're running and the connections that you're making. Um, and, and the difference I, she's making. Absolutely, I'm just so inspired. And I love that you have a love for this work, you know, because it is so meaningful. Um, I have a student athlete who's like a bonus son to me, who was in, in my classroom at a, my, my community college. So we went through the NJCAA process with him and then into NCAA when he transferred to a university and now he's playing pro ball in Slovakia. Um, and so watching that process and seeing how confusing it can be 
um, what the work that you're doing it's so meaningful because it is that sense of belonging that you're trying to create um, for the students that helps them feel like they can navigate through the process, right? We all know those first faces are so important in any experience that we have. Um, I wanted to pivot a little bit and talk about your work with coaches and, and what has been surprising in that work, because I can imagine, and I know, and Joe knows, that working with adults can be a totally different experience from working with our young, our younger uh, generations. Yeah, well, one, thank you for um, just mentioning my passion. I really am. And sometimes I have to like reel myself back because never I reel yourself back. Get myself never. really hype about never. it. On this podcast, do you it. let it flow. Go. <laughs> no. Gotta go. Good. See you um, always. Yes, thank you. Because uh, I am, it, it's, it's like the D and I work it, is a, as a calling. It's bigger than me, and I'm really great to be a vessel to to help and do this work. To answer your question with coaches, I have many opportunities to engage with our coaches, be it coaches that are a part of our committees or working with my colleagues in leadership development through some of their programming, or coaches emailing and saying, "Hey, Naya, <laughs> we got this situation," or "Hey, again, I mentioned in the past, like." Uh, 18 months or so, providing a lot of training opportunities for coaches and other athletic administrators. And, you know, it, it varies. I think in general, when we think about diversity, equity, and inclusion work, one is a shared responsibility, right? So the Office of Inclusion, yes, we lead these efforts and we love to do it, but it's everyone's responsibility because DEI touches all of us, regardless if we realize it or not. And so having conversations with coaches, you know, and they have things that are very important to them in their role as coach. And one of those things are, are student athletes. And so really seeing them wanting to, hey, how do I help take this to the next level in terms of having conversations on racial justice? Or I had this situation happen with, you know, within, in, within a team and, and how do I handle it in, in making sure that it's not only a learning opportunity that we're helping to change culture. And so really um, hearing from coaches and them not only wanting to find resources and solutions for one thing, but really like how do we help change culture or how do we help continue to move forward in some areas? And that is a beautiful thing to me. I think that, you know, we, again, we all have a responsibility and when coaches do that, because coaches connect to student to their, you know, their student athletes in ways that I will never be able to, right? Wow. And so by them wanting to foster belonging, foster inclusion, having conversations on racial and social justice within their team or within the larger athletic community, that's going to create even a stronger bond probably, you know, with their student athletes and for even future student athletes who may look to attend that institution and be a part of that team. This is the part of the episode where we're going to ask our guest a question to keep her on her feet. Are you ready, Naya, for this question that Michelle has pre prepared for you today? All right, Michelle, what you got for me? Here we go. You can only win money with this answer. You can't lose any. Um, okay. Here we go. So, the, so Naya, there's a, a song playing uh, on the speaker. Every time you walk into a room, every time you get on stage to talk or present, it's your entrance music. What song, Naya, would be playing for you? Oh, wow. That's such a good song. I mean, good, good question. It would be anything with Beyonce, but I'm trying to like pin down like which Beyonce song. The first one came to mind is Brown Skin Girl, 
but there's so many Beyonce songs right now that I'm kind of blanking out. But artist is good. Artist is good. I yeah, think if Beyonce. you can come up with an artist that fast, that's that's good representation. Mm-hmm. And and we're gonna go we're gonna go hit the. I, I have a, I was gonna hit this, but but it was correct. So you know I, I don't have a correct button, but we're gonna go correct on that one. I like yeah. it, Naya. I thought I, I like the passion and Beyonce's obviously very passionate and amazing singer uh, with lots of energy. So that's good. I like that. Uh, the reason I asked that question is because it's always good to find out where, you know, music always is a reflection of us and what we, what we care about, what we listen to, how we relax. You're doing very um, important work. It's not like you can just mess up like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't do my diversity, equity, inclusion work well enough today. I mean, maybe that happens, but it's not like, oh, yeah, I just somebody came to me and said, how, how do I increase my voice? And I told them, you know, I don't have time for you right now. So you're always on your A game, right? It's like, so, yeah, you cannot make well, I'm going to say the pressure's on you. It's not that you can't make mistakes, but it's such everything you say, every message that you're giving people can take them uncomfortably. They can infer things. And so this is DEI, these conversations, they're hard conversations to have. I imagine they're hard for students, they're hard for adults, they're hard for me, they're hard for you. You know, for I have these at my workplace and, and, and people say, well, how do you feel about this? And I go, it's hard to talk about this stuff. It is hard because you think about the layers of emotions that each person has, one deeper than the next, and you have no perspective of what that other person is going through on their on their personal front, but you have to seek the understanding. It takes time and effort and energy and focus mm-hmm. and all of these things that have to be kind of perfect. They have to create the perfect environment or at least one that's not too imperfect for, for the message to get passed along. And so yeah, we're um we're yeah, reading a book. I wanna I wanna extend what you're saying and, and add some force to it because you're hitting the nail on the head with this as you so often do. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a quote in a book called Teaching Race by Stephen Brookfield. And the quote is, there are two ways to teach race, badly or not at all. Um, and it was the first way. There are two ways to teach race, badly or not at all. Um, so, and that's by Lucia uh, Palowski. And, and so when I was thinking about your unconscious bias, you know, training that you're going to be doing and your eight point plan to advance racial equity, um, I'm leading a book study over here on this book and it is messy work. Um, how do you stay um, inspired? Because the badly happens more often than the not at all. We are talking about race. And so we come away feeling uncomfortable. We come away feeling as though we have misstepped or we didn't do that well. How do you stay inspired to keep doing this challenging and difficult and messy and, you know, there is no guide type of work. And how do you stay grounded? Because yeah. it is hard. Well, those are some great points. And, and I think there are points that a lot of times people don't even realize or think about when a person is engaging and leading this type of work. Um, one, I'm not perfect. And so I do mess up. I try not to mess up. Right. But I also think that's a human nature. And there are times where I'm like, oh, I wish I would have said this differently, or I didn't know this, but I use those examples to say that this is a journey. And I think a lot of times people are afraid to have the conversations. People are afraid to do the work because they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to mess up because the cost can be it can be very costly, right? That's um, it. The cost can be very, very hard to deal with if it's yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you do have to be intentional. You do have to be strategic. You do have to learn. You do have to do your, your due diligence. And um, for me, what keeps me going back is that this work is bigger than me. You know, I mentioned that for me, the work is a calling. And so there are times where I'm like, man, I wish we, you know, I wish we could have gotten from A to B really, you know, quicker or just in general, or, you know, I really thought I really connected well with this group and, and, and I didn't. And I go back and I reflect and I say, what, what could I learn? What could I do differently? Or somebody may say, you know, that sucked. Nah, yeah. I mean, hopefully, you know, not to my face, but particularly on campus. <laughs> When you, you know, when I was on campus, I've had students to come and say, hey, I don't think that you did well on that, or you focus on this, this group more than this group, or I felt attacked. And so yeah. I have to check myself and I have to take that feedback in and say, was there truth to any of that now yet? Or was someone projecting because this is maybe the first time they've heard this conversation or because you touched something that um, was really um impactful to them in a way that they're still kind of processing. Mm -hmm. So I have my own kind of a process of thinking through things. And I, I just regroup, pause, reflect, take a step away. Little Beyonce. And then I come back and listen to little Beyonce, dance it out, <laughs> what would B do? You know, then I said, what would any and B do? Um, and so we keep it moving, you know? And so I stay grounded by, you know, saying that we're all a part of this work. I have an amazing support system, not only in my partner, but friends who do this work and, and mentors, and I can talk to them about it, but also people who don't do this work either. And they help keep me grounded. They help make help me remember that it, it's bigger than me. We would have to keep moving forward. And I'm like, if, if I don't do my part, then how can I encourage someone else to, to take a step and do their part as well? Love it. Michelle, you have any final questions for Naya before I give her the last couple? Um, I think I, I have a million things to say to you. I, I think you're amazing. I think the work that you're doing is so important. And I think that you probably inspired a lot of the Ed Up Experience listeners today with um, wow. your, your statement yes. about having, uh, you know, this being a calling and having a passion for the work. I mean, we know that if we have a passion for the work, we never work a day in our lives, right? Um, so thank you for being an example of that. Two, Boss is my favorite song by Beyonce. Hey, I like that. And I always sing that one at work, but I mumble it to myself throughout the day. Um, and then finally, um, if you ever want to change the air horn, just uh, record yourself singing and I'll play that instead. Just to... <laughs> I'll do that, Jim. I'll get, I'll get right on that. Um, there's an angle that we haven't talked about, and I just wanted to get a little bit of insight there. And that is for everyone in the audience that is currently navigating through this NCAA pathway as a parent uh, of a student who might be impacted by some of the work that you're doing. Well, they will be for sure. Um, do you have any words of, of um, encouragement for them? Um, because it is a daunting process to to go, you know, into the NCAA, um, and um, and parents are very much a part of that. Not, you know, at the forefront, um, but they do feel the pressure and the weight that their children feel mm -hmm. as they're navigating through this. What encouragement can you offer them based on the work that you're doing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the encouragement I would love to offer to parents or family members supporting student athletes is that the NCAA has people who are working who are very committed and willing to help in any way that we can. There are a lot of different components and layers, as you mentioned, um, not only to the process, but to the organization. And I've been at the national office for two years and two months now. And 
I am just amazed at how my colleagues continue to rise, you know, above to be able to help support because we're here, you know, we're here for students and, and, and part of students is, are their families we're supporting. And so um, if, 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 I, if a parent reached out to me, which I'm not saying, give me a whole bunch of reach outs on things, but if, <laughs> if so, you know, we're, I'm willing to, to find my colleagues and people who can help support. And that's not only within the national office, but that's on our college campuses as well. Um, and in our conference office, we are dedicated, we're committed to helping and to doing our part. And um, we're not perfect in that process, but we, we, darn, we, we try really, really hard. Yeah. I want to ask you just one quick, quick question, focusing on the equity piece and how involved or what was the stance or what's the current situation, whatever way you want to answer it around the whole paying athletes, yes. um, you know, from the I'm NCAA, sure. you know, for their name and likeness and image. And there's a, a, a chunk of athletes who are going to begin earning money. And what what is that? How is that? I, mean, I don't know how to ask the question the right way, but how does the the uh, inclusionary environment look at this and students being paid? And is that something that you guys focus on at all, talking about? That's a great question. I wonder if that's going to come up um, <laughs> because I'm not necessarily yeah, the best I? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that don't come up. But no, it's fine. I, I'm not in the best position to answer that in terms of a national association because we have, I have great colleagues who work directly in there. Just knowing that the inclusion and equity framework is is look, being looked at, has been looked at. We know that student athletes are already, um, you know, having receiving funds in different ways off of their name image and likeness and that has been a conversation in terms of the equity piece from the beginning of that mm -hmm. thank you for that i think that's a, that's as much of an answer as i would expect to because i think is you know it's it's an it's a big issue. It's a big conversation and equity is a huge piece of it. So to know that the, that your office and, and folks there were, were involved in, and I think it, it's, uh, it says a lot about how that process was rolled out. So I appreciate your, your response there. Okay. Let's give you our final two questions. You ready? Here we go. Number one, Naya, what did we miss about, uh, your role and what you do as director of inclusion at the NCAA. Anything that you wanted to say today that maybe we forgot to ask you? And number two, what do you see as the future of higher education? And you can answer that with a DEI lens if you'd like. Oh, great question. So in terms of what you missed, I, I think we covered a lot in terms of the, the work that I do at the national office, not all of the, the components of the work, but really the highlights. You know, I just want to further highlight that we're here to support student athletes. That's our main focus. And in supporting student athletes, we are also supporting those who teach, coach, and lead them. And that has a direct impact on our student athletes. And we do that in a variety of ways, be it programs or initiatives. Uh, one of our, our signature program is the inclusion forum that happens each year. And we bring different practitioners and um, student athletes. We used to bring them in person, but that hasn't happened yet um, due, due to COVID. But even last year, we had a virtual or still this year, right? Yeah, this year we had a virtual um, symposium of, for, uh, for student athletes coaches and administrators and, and higher education practitioners interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so we take a lot of pride in the work that we do, just knowing that the national office 
we're doing work internally as well as externally around diversity, equity, inclusion, because we recognize it's a shared experience. And we know that when we do our part and we're learning and we're growing, that helps. And that helps not only us internally, but that helps us better support our membership. And so those are things that I would like to, to highlight. Um, and your last question in terms of the future of higher ed from a DEI lens. I think that as diversity, equity, inclusion in general continues to, to morph into and transform, we're going to, as higher ed institutions and higher ed professionals, we're, we're gonna have to be ready and willing to do that in a, in a quicker pace, because I think that sometimes we're, we're a little bit slow to, to Are join you the saying game. higher education is slow? No, I, uh... well, I just, it's sometimes, you know, just in, in some areas. <laughs> I, I will you be on your both. side, Naya, absolutely. And I love that you say a quicker pace. Yeah, and, and we have to do that and to be able to support our students, to be able to support those who work on campus and our and our future students. And I think we're going to have to, you know, we've seen through, because of COVID, have a different level of flexibility and, and understanding of meeting the various needs um, of our, our students as well. And so, uh, but I think the future is bright if we're willing to, to you know, if we're willing to rise to the occasion. And I think as a whole, um, we are, we just gotta roll up our sleeves and do some more work and boss it out, right? Beyonce. Love it. Well, at the beginning of the episode, Naya, you said you were looking for a sound, an entrance sound. So I picked one out for you because you've dropped bombs all episode here. Today. <laughs> She's dropping bombs, hey. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Naya Blair Hackworth, soon to be. Congratulations on your successful defense that will happen in the future. I'm just telling you, congratulations now because I know it's going to happen. Oh, look, I, I accept all of it. I appreciate it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I'll come back when I'm real. You come, I would, we would love to have you back. Ooh. And of course, my co host today, ladies and gentlemen, as I move my soundboard to this sound. Michelle Cantu-Wilson. She'll be back, Dr. Michelle Cantu-Wilson. You see her again. And Naya Blair-Hackworth, I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to uh, cut this episode up. I'm going to cut out the part that says, I will come back. And I'm going to put that on social media. So then if you don't come back, we can shame you for not coming back. I'll be there. I'll be back. I love it. All right. There you go, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just ed upped. I am Dr. Lorenzo Reyes, Associate Vice President for Workforce Economic and Resource Development at San Juan College. As a founding partner, we value how model can enhance workforce development. Our model brings together community colleges and employer needs to create credentials that lead to jobs with good family sustaining wages. The future of community colleges is about meeting learners where they are through short-term industry-recognized credentials. This can put them on the path to degrees in new careers while directly filling real workforce needs of employers. As on one college, success matters is more than a tagline. It is at the heart of what we do. And our model gives us one more opportunity for our students and our communities to succeed.